0: Hey,
1: right, y'all, come on in, take your shoes off, sit on down. Y'all are listening to In the corner, back by the wood pile. It's a clicker. Oh, yeah. And hey, we click? Yes, it is. Uh-huh. They could tell us where, where we were. Uh-huh. Some of our buddies would be close to us. Maybe we'd have to click this thing and it know oh, we there. Then they clicked
0: back.
2: You know. It has the date on it. Uh, the, yeah, the D-Day. June 6th, yeah. Junior
0: uh-huh. said it drove the German crazy. They didn't know what it was. <laughs> and he said they changed their code every day so they wouldn't pick up
2: on uh. it. I'm Spung Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. The voices you hear are that of Ivy Agee Jr. and his wife Virginia, showing me some of his mementos from his service in the European Theater of World War II. Mr. Agee was a member of the 29th Infantry Division, whom took part in the June 6, 1944 D-Day invasion on Omaha Beach in Normandy, France. Estimations put the death toll for Allied troops at over 4,000 just on that one day alone, and yet Mr. AG survived this and other battles. The couple, now in their 90s, invited me into their Gordonsville, Tennessee home to tell their stories, that of a young Tennessee boy lost in the nightmare of war and a young wife waiting stateside, not knowing when or if her husband was ever coming home. Please bear with some of the back and forth between speakers. Mr. Agee's memory is not what it once was, but with the help of his wife and grandson Jake, we got most of the key points. We first began by briefly chatting about their early lives in Middle Tennessee. Uh, Where were you born and when were you born?
1: I was born in Gordonville in 1923, uh, April the 3rd. Do you remember I'm the day? I'm 92 years old. <laughs> no, I don't remember when I was born.
2: <laughs> What's your earliest memories from your life?
1: Well, it, I just uh, playing around and uh, going to Knoxville to watch UT play football. <laughs>
2: wow. So you were a fan back then, huh? Yeah. Okay. Now your parents, were they born in Gordonsville?
0: Uh, your mother was born in Trestle County, and your daddy was born in Heatland, which is well, it's nearby, just two,
1: two
2: miles from here. What are your some of your better memories of your mother?
1: She was just a good person. I loved everybody. She never had an enemy. She always wanted to help somebody.
2: You know, I loved her more than anything. <laughs> and your father, what what's your memories of him?
1: My father was a great mechanic, automobile mechanic, and he was a little guy. He was, stature one wasn't very big, and he uh, got carbon monoxide poisoning. Really? He overhauled cars, except this time, had the door at all closed, dripped tight, no air could get in there, and he got carbon monoxide poisoning. For how long, Virginia?
0: Honey, I don't know. That was before I knew you.
1: Well, it it lasted a pretty good while taking to get over it.
0: He Uh, was known as being the best mechanic anywhere
1: around. Yeah, he was an outstanding automobile mechanic. And uh, a lot of places would call him to come and help him out, you know. he uh, went to Sparta a whole lot, Sparta, Tennessee, and uh, he'd be bored motors, you know, and uh,
0: cars and trucks. Went to Chicago to school to keep up with the changes in the... Carburetor
1: school, you know, and smoked cigars all the time. He wouldn't deny it, he just suck on it, you know. <laughs> uh,
2: what do you remember from your childhood? What were some of your favorite things that you liked to do?
0: Do you remember anything about your childhood with J.W. and Doodle and Francis and the trips you all would take? Oh a bunch of cousins. <laughs> He was an only child uh-huh. and he had three cousins that were born just right at the same uh-huh. intervals as he was. So he actually grew up an only child but he had the three cousins and they all lived in the same house, a huge house at the lower end of town that's been torn down now but his grandmother, ran a boarding house because her husband died young and she was left to uh, make a living for the family. She was, uh, Miss Matt was her name, very business-minded. And uh, so I don't know what happened to him when he was little. I don't remember any of those things. I remember him telling me that he got a scooter. And what happened when you got your scooter? I don't know. He had a (laughs) wreck on it and skinned his knee and he has a Oh,
1: Put on your old gray bonnet with a blue ribbon on it, and we'll hitch over, dive into the shade. Through the fields
2: of clover, we'll go down to Dover on our golden wedding day. So, do you remember when you first laid eyes on her?
1: I don't know all of
2: Oh, really? <laughs>
0: He
1: just life. lived two miles from here. And uh, Daddy was in a store over there at Hickman, Tennessee. My uncle was in a peanut route from Nashville.
0: A peanut what? And, uh, oh, I'd peanut go
1: route. I'd ride with to Hickman just to get to see her. You oh. know? <laughs> he tells
0: that, but I don't believe it. Really? Because
2: I didn't remember. remember him. You don't remember him? Oh, that
0: hurts. The first time I ever remembered seeing him was at a basketball game down here. He was on one side of the building and I was on the other and he sent somebody to ask me wouldn't I come and sit with him and I <laughs> sent the word back no I wouldn't. If he wanted to sit with me he could come across the gym. He didn't come but I guess that's when our relationship begun was when he was a junior and I was a sophomore or a freshman or a sophomore or something like that. Uh-huh. So we've known each other a long time. Now he said married seventy three years. Oh wow!
2: He said that your family had a store.
0: Yes, general merchandise store. Okay,
2: did you work in there? I did. Do you have good memories of that?
0: Well, I, I enjoy people. Yes, I enjoyed being there at the time. I thought that maybe I was being overworked, but uh, <laughs> it was uh, so different then than it is now. And my brother, who is two years younger than I am. We had certain jobs that we had to do. Sugar didn't come in five-pound bags. It came in a barrel, and Mm. beans came in a barrel. And so one of our jobs was to uh, weigh up sugar and salt and beans and put them in two-and-a-half-pound bundles and and, uh, five-pound bundles. And we had a string that came from the ceiling, ball of string, and we tied it together and knotted in and stacked it up. Mm -hmm. And uh, when it came out with a little mechanism about like this that had water in the bottom and then tape that you'd pull through it and could tape it, we thought that was the most wonderful invention. (laughs) We didn't have to use a string to tie the bags. After he graduated from Battleground Academy in Franklin, he went to uh, Silver Springs, Maryland, to Bliss electrical school and stayed a year. When he came home, they were building Center Hill Down, just starting it. Mm-hmm. So that was a place everybody was getting jobs. So he worked there until he was drafted in January of 40. Is it a sin?
1: Is it a crime? Loving you dear like I do If it's a crime then I'm guilty Guilty of loving you Maybe I'm wrong dreaming of you Dreaming the lonely night through If it's a crime then I'm guilty
2: guilty of dreaming of you. You all were married before the war. we
0: married in June of 42, and he left in January. Well, he was inducted in December of 42, and left in January, I think, the 8th. I went to
1: Camp Forest first, was inducted there, and uh, went from there to Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Artillery school. I stayed there till I finished basic training, then uh, I was on my way to, across the ocean to Europe and uh, wound up in Britain.
0: I remember going walking to the post office and getting uh, a letter and the return address said P.O. Box, New York and uh, I knew he was gone. Mm. That was that was the first warning that we had, that he would be, usually they had basic training, and then they'd be sent someplace else in training, and then they would be sent to Europe. It was several, several days a week before we got another letter. It came from England. We knew he was in England, but we didn't know where. And he tried to tell us where he was because... I, our neighbor had a Plymouth car, and he kept asking about Mr. John's car. How was it? But he was at Plymouth. Ah. We never knew that he that he was trying to tell us where he was. He trained there over a year in England, and he said the first night that they were there, after they got to the barracks where they were supposed to be, there was an air raid that first night. So it was you could, an
1: air raid, too.
0: <laughs> well, tell
1: him about it. Uh, it, it was all the first time we'd been in, you know. We didn't know where to go. <laughs> we just followed some of the old guys in the camp. you get out of the back, so for you have an air raid. Well, that's where they offered you to drop the bombs and on the buildings and all. But we started out this place. I never had been before. I didn't know where I was going or <laughs> mm-hmm. I just followed the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, we looked up in the sky and it was light as day. They dropped flares, you know. Uh, I know you could see a person on the ground, you know, slides light as it was, running, trying to get protection or something. It was a bad time for me, and I know it was for the old rest of them that was over there, cause I didn't know what was going to happen after that.
2: I should set up this next story a little. Mr. Ag began telling about how one of his jobs was to get his Jeep up on Omaha Beach and set up communications, all while a storm of bullets and shrapnel rained down death all around. You, of course, can't see it on the recording, but Mr. Ag was showing me physically how he drove his Jeep in from outside the vehicle, reaching his arms from under the ocean water to steer and manipulate the pedals.
1: My trouble was to get the Jeep off and set up communications. We waterproofed our Jeeps and all before time, you know, and they was all waterproof where they could go under the water and all. My Jeep, it come off just nice and pretty and anything. you better see. I didn't even have to choke it the way up here or anything. And uh, I got off good, nothing so far. Then... Uh, they said we wanted to go inland more, so we did. And then yeah. when I come off, I come off my Jeep, I tiptoe and just bar like tiptoe and choking it out uh-huh. of the door, driving underneath the water. So you were
2: underwater yeah, driving your Jeep? I was underwater. Wow. <laughs> so you were using the Jeep as cover. Yeah. I wonder what the Germans must have thought. Here comes this Jeep with no driver. <laughs>
1: I don't know what you thought. Uh, yeah, I had to leave my Jeep. Uh, it got so hot around there and all. I had to leave it. The Jeep? Jeep didn't make it off the beach. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I had to leave it there on the beach. and After all that work? Huh? Yeah. I stayed, I guess, down on the beach, but I had some cover and then a hole that's already been dug, you know. Mm-hmm. I got it here for, for a while. I had to crawl across two dead American soldiers to get under this wall, and I hated to do it, but that's on protection I had at that place. And I, uh, we stayed there pretty good while, and then, uh, yeah, my partner, it's so much firing around, he left me, my assistant. Oh no. It was, it was cha- all on my own then, uh, you know. Did
2: he leave because it was chaos? Because,
1: yeah, because the, yeah, because of the so much firing all going on. Mm-hmm. He couldn't stand it. He said, I can't stand it. I've got to get away from wow. here.
0: Underneath the wall, you met this soldier was hiding just like you were, and you are talking, and what happened? A
1: piece of shrapnel and I hit him. That between the eye, and then he was just gone. Uh-huh. He was gone that quick. And now I was by myself. Oh, man. <laughs> what am I going to do? What am I
2: going to do? <laughs> did you ever feel like panicking, or did you just... Just had to go go forward, never it's thought had about to it. to go, you know. Yeah. Did you see other men panic a little yeah, bit? Yeah,
1: yeah. I saw them start running. You know, I can't stand it any longer. I can't stand it any longer. They'll be running on the beach, you know.
0: When you finally got to the top of the hill, those foxholes all over where the Germans had dug in, and they advanced so fast, what did you all find? Oh,
1: yeah, sound table. They had to leave it so quick it didn't destroy the positions in the sand. It was more help for us that after we got it, we could find all the gun positions that way. Wow.
2: (laughs) So it was like a map. Yeah. Uh Eventually, the 29th pushed all the way into Germany, where at a town named Aachen, Mr. A.G. and a few others were the first to go in, only to find that the rest of the army was no longer behind them. Then the four lone American soldiers took cover in a basement of a German home, only to realize some Germans had also taken cover in the very same basement. Luckily, the two foes were separated by a basement wall.
1: At Aachen had a trench around the city, you know, and when mm-hmm. we come in, yeah. They come in right behind us in that trench and cut us off from our troops to back. And we had to had it go on and make it the best we could. we may have had it pretty good luck.
0: You were cut off for three days and they flew in food to you.
1: Yeah, that th- flew in, uh, dropped it through a, with a piper cub, you know, a real mm-hmm. airplane. Dropped it in the courtyard and uh, it fed us for... Three, three or four days for while we were there.
2: So let me get this straight. So you were cut off from the rest of the yes, company. Yes,
0: three of
1: them. Yeah.
2: You were able to radio in, or they could see them. There were the
0: basement was two sides. We on was on
1: one side of the basement. They was on the other side, and we had a peephole. We could see them move if anything. they They started to come out and start to go up those steps to get out. The we said, you better get back there, you. Uh. <laughs> we're going to get you.
0: You all heard the German tanks approaching and you were fixing to be captured, and what did you do?
1: I forgot that to tell
0: you. You called for fire on.
1: Called fire for right where we were, right in our own position, okay. to keep the Germans from getting us you know us
0: They hit the tanks instead of where you were and yeah. that they began to surrender then. Yeah. Yeah. They were at a tight place and he and another man administered the medicine that they dropped in that they had no training for. They just became medics instead of field artillery. Be, be singing hallelujah, marching to Berlin he will be singing hallelujah, my King to
1: begin. The devil put on a different face, came mm-hmm. to
2: plague the human race. We put that old devil back in his place. Sing hallelujah. He'll be singing. Mrs. A.G. next recalls what her husband told her of the last days of the war.
0: Well, it was Christmas time, and they were being outnumbered, and it was a very hard time for them. Then they overcome that and were able to defeat the Germans, and that's what ended the war. But they had to wait. They couldn't advance and get the Germans because they wanted to let Russia come in and take Berlin. Because of that, they were held back. Once they did surrender, he said they would march many abreast to surrender because they wanted to surrender to the Americans. They didn't want to surrender to the Russians, right. give up to the Russians. They were all coming to the Americans. And didn't you say they just marched down the road with yeah. seven or eight in a breast just as far as you could see? No guard. No.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I know the Soviets were pretty hard on the Germans. Yeah, yeah.
1: They were glad to give
0: and, up. And then after the war, he and his friend were, they had to do the occupation. And uh, he and his friend were out to, on patrol, and they were talking, and he was killed, even after the war was oh, over. Oh, no.
2: And By so, a German bullet?
0: Yes. Hmm. Then he has good stories about if they had to go clean up the country with the, all the weapons that they could find. They had to turn them in. The Germans had to turn them in, and they were responsible for doing that. The way they got to come home was the number of years that they had been in service. And the 29th Division is an old, old uh, National Guard Mm -hmm. division from Virginia. So there were lots of older men that went in. In fact, Bedford, Virginia, wasn't it? Yeah. The first few hours of the war, 16 boys from that town, were killed oh, no. and uh, they have a monument there for them but uh, that made his number much higher so he had to stay longer and then as they as they came home they were sending other people over to, to replace them to do the uh, occupation
2: I next asked Mrs. A.G. about what she remembered about her husband's return home
0: well it was Halloween, and the way that we uh, knew that he was coming home, there was a little piece in the Tennessean that listed the boys that were getting into Boston. Your grandmother and I were so excited that we knew he would be in the States that day, so back then they always had a big, at school, country school, have a Halloween party, and people would dress up and go. And Grandmama and I dressed up and went to the party. And I wore granddaddy's shoes. And no one ever knew who we were, but Aunt Gladys would look at my feet. And she'd say, nobody in the world in this town could wear Ivy Agee's shoes. They're so small. And uh, But we celebrated by going to a Halloween party. And about two days later, he called. And i have forgotten how long it was before... He came home and he came into the old station in Nashville. And I remember him getting off, being down there, had on a long, long overcoat that went to the ground and a duffel bag and I hadn't seen him for 30, 34 months. Wow. And uh, his mother and daddy and his aunt and uncle and Beverly Don were there to meet him there wasn't any sleeping done that night, just <laughs> rejoicing.
1: Mm-hmm. We stand today at a place of battle, one that 40 years ago saw and felt the worst of war. Men bled and died here for a few feet of, or inches, of sand as bullets and shell fire cut through their ranks. About them, General Omar Bradley later said, Every man who set foot on Omaha Beach that day was a hero. No speech can adequately portray their suffering, their sacrifice, their
2: heroism. You all returned back to Europe years later, right? He's been back
0: four times. He went back to the house. They asked the historian, was there a house nearby that had a courtyard? He said, there are two. And Junior described his, and he doesn't know exactly where it is. Mm-hmm. They took him and Junior said when they turned down the lane, he knew exactly where he was. And the people were very hostile. Mm-hmm. invited him in, let him go in the cellar. And he has a picture of the wall in the cellar with USA on it. Mm-hmm. And he said that they had made the Germans carve USA <laughs> on the wall. <laughs> And after all these years, it was still there. Wow. <laughs> so the people said it was the most emotional thing in the world. that All these old soldiers who had not seen each other in 50 years, just like they would never been apart. Wow. And Junior had never talked about what he had done, what he had gone through, what he had seen. We knew nothing about what went on. And after that was when he began to talk, to tell us some of the things Mm. that happened. Time has taken its toll, and Uh. I guess it's good that it's maybe faded from his mind. Uh,
2: I wish, in the name of France, to pay homage
1: to those of your children who have given their blood on the soil of Normandy and we were sleeping there forever. We shall never forget them.
0: You know, it was so strange Mm -hmm. that every little town that they would go into, there was a celebration for them. The school children were taught from the time that they were little, that the Americans were their liberators. Mm. And they appreciated that. Now, they tell me that the people in Paris never really understood if what the people in the country went through. But they'd have big celebrations. There would be banquets and uh, they always Amazing gave them food. some sort of momentum. And Junior has a number of certificates. There's some on the wall out there. But they do this at every town. They went to the town where Jake's uncle was killed. And the historian was. there remembered the Hill, it was called Hill Number 8 or something. This is but my they, dad's brother. They knew that that's where he was killed. And the, the elderly man took them there to the place where he was killed. He was in the,
1: Hill 109. One,
0: Hill yep. 109. Yep. And uh, took them there. The man asked if it would be okay if he could put flowers there every year in his memory or He had been doing that, and Junior was the first veteran that had ever come back to that little place, and they had a big celebration at City Hall for them being there, but they they celebrated, and Calvados was their drink of honor, (laughs) and uh, everybody drank Calvados, and they were showing the children would come out from school and wave. In fact, I have a picture of Junior They had a parade, and they had a child that was with each veteran Mm. in the parade.
2: These days, the couple lead a quiet life of retirement in their Tennessee home, where Miss Agee relays what her husband's favorite pastime is.
0: After he became disabled to a place that he couldn't, he had always walked to town or, or as long as he could use his walker, and then he got he couldn't walk that far. So he sat on the front porch a lot. About,
2: about how old was he about that time? Oh,
0: he was 90. 90. 80, 89 or
2: 90.
0: Uh-huh. And uh, he would sit on the front porch and he just waved it. See, that's cut would been customary, wave at your neighbors. So he waved at everybody. Sometimes people would honk their horns. Sometimes we'd recognize the car. We don't recognize anymore now because there's so many people that moved in here. Last summer, a man came by and he said, uh, I've watched you many times sit on this front porch and wave when I'd go by. And I vowed that one day I was going to come back and shake your hand and find out something about you because I knew that you were a veteran or something of that nature. So, Junior was in better shape then and could tell him more. And not long ago, his son came by and his daddy had told him about it. He was, he and his wife were walking down the street and we were out there and he came in and introduced himself Mm -hmm. and said that he was the son of the man that came by because he waved all the time, but, uh, I guess lots of people now, when he sits out there, they'll blow, they know he's there. That was his recreation, the way he passed his time. You do a lot of things when you live in the country that you wouldn't do in the city. That's what porches are made for, is to sit on and enjoy.
2: If you did that in the city, they'd probably take you to the crazy house.
0: Yeah, right.
2: (laughs) I lastly asked the AGs what was the best piece of advice they could give the younger generations. Even with our struggles being trivial in nature compared to their own.
0: Well, when you were going down the gangplank, going into, off the ship to Normandy, what did you say?
1: If God is for me, who can be against me? I used it all the way through the war. Wow.
2: I truly really want to thank Mr. and Mrs. Ag for not only telling us their story, but also for their service to our country. And I also want to thank Jake and Celia Stein for helping facilitate this interview. In the Corner Back by the Wood Pile podcast is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at spuncounterguy. And if you'd like to see a list of former episodes of In the Corner Back by the Wood Pile, go to spuncounterguy.com and click on the pictures of piles of wood with chairs in front. Be sure to download the new Podbean app to hear this podcast and others on your tablet and smartphone. And a special thanks to thebrofisticat.com.